This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible-reading, gun-toting, Air Force veteran, wife and mom, righteously American. The Lord is a God who avenges. O God who avenges, shine forth. Rise up, judge of the earth. Pay back to the proud what they deserve. How long, O Lord, will the wicked, how long will the wicked be jubilant? They pour out arrogant words. All the evildoers are full of boasting. They crush your people, Lord. They oppress your inheritance. They slay the widow and the foreigner. They murder the fearless. They say, the fatherless, they say, The Lord does not see. The God of Jacob takes no notice. They say, take notice, you senseless ones among the people. You fools, when will you become wise? Does he who fashioned the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? Does he who disciplines nations not punish? Does he who teaches mankind lack knowledge? That's Psalm 94. And the reason that that's our encouragement for today is because it can be very, very frustrating. You might be sitting up right now looking at politics, looking at the situation, seeing the poor downtrodden, seeing the human trafficking, the the sex abuse, seeing all of the different sins of man on full display and seeing people who you think and know in your heart of hearts are guilty going unpunished. And you might say, what good is it for me to, and then say whatever? Well, I'm here to tell you that God sees and he will judge. And we are to be encouraged by the fact that we know he's not going to let people get away with what they're currently getting away with and that this is only for a time, only for a season. And so the best thing for us to do is to carry on one foot in front of the other, one day after another day, an hour by hour, trusting him and following along with what he has told us to do. And I was talking with a friend this morning, a dear sister in Christ, and she was talking about how uh, I, I said obedience often feels like when, when we talk about obedience to God, there's this sense of drudgery about it where you're like, oh, you know, I have to be obedient or, oh, I got to, you know, I want to be obedient. No, it's more like this because we can't be obedient without God's help. He gives us the ability to obey him by changing our minds. Little by little, he changes us and he changes our minds so that we are actually excited and interested and wanting. We have a desire to obey him that supersedes all other things. And before long, you, you'll you notice it yourself. It's maybe someone will say to you, oh, you're different or you used to, you know, and I'm not talking about big, huge stuff because sometimes that's where we need help. But other times it's smaller things that we don't even really notice this is bad. But God will change our hearts so that we no longer want to do, participate, be, whatever. And then we'll notice it. And then we have to give glory to God. And so it's in that same way that God is in control in every other circumstance. And he is going to make all things right. He will bring justice to the nations. And that includes every individual. And all things will be accounted for. So do not lose heart. Do not Just go by what you see around you. Your observational faculties are intact and they're fantastic, but they are not the rudder for your life. So keep looking up. That's the encouragement for today. All right. So what's on the show today? Well, Brian Owens, he's going to join us next segment. Um, He's fantastic. He's doing some amazing things in Ferguson and in the city of St. Louis to really bring the kind of prosperity and biblical truth that is currently lacking, he's bringing that and he's using the arts to do it. So we're going to be chatting with him today. Um, and then we're also going to be just running through so much info for you. So you guys, first of all, if you're local to St. Louis, you'll be able to hear me tonight on the Dave Glover Think Tank. I'm not exactly sure what hour I'm on in. I know what time I have to be there, but I'm not sure what hour we're doing. So you'll just have to kind of stay tuned. I posted on Facebook that you can look out for me that this afternoon. And I remember I used to do that show all the time before the old place. And so now I'm doing it again. And it's a fun, um, so it was me, it, well, it will be me, Gene Evans, and Gene Evans is the head of the Missouri GOP. 
And Michael, he didn't have a car with him. So I'm, and I'm so bad with names after the first time I need to meet you like three times. Um, he is a comptroller in the city of St. Louis. And so we had some robust conversation about, uh, you know, politics. Yeah. Healthcare. Yeah. We got into it. So that brings me to what we're going to talk about today. You're probably wondering what are we going to talk about today. Well, first of all, President Trump, is he the chosen one? He said he was. People are triggered. Now they're calling them mentally ill. Is he the chosen one? The answer might surprise you. Um, so I'm going to get into that in just a second here. What's going on with the black family? I have some information on that. And this isn't a bashing of any particular ethnic background because we are all children of the one. So it's, it's this whole idea that we have statistical analysis based on different kinds of groups. They have to find some way to group human beings together. And so they use ethnicity to do that. But the idea that pathologies that are present in one ethnicity aren't present in every, uh, every group, uh, or that talking about one particular group means you hate that group. That's the kind of silliness, the kind of nonsense that we can't engage in if we want to solve problems. And remember, it's the good and the evil. It's you know, the people who are serving their master against those who are, you know, serving their master. So, you know, you can only have one of the two masters and you can only be on one side or the other. There is no fence you can straddle where you're, you know, I'm a Christian, but I also, I serve, you know, the, the God of my skin. I worship my skin. Nope. You can't do it. You got to pick one. So we're going to talk about that. And it's a conversation that's meant to inform and to help kind of just directionally How do we think about this? How do we talk about it? Where do we go with it? So we'll be delving into that. And then, um, also just, I was, I was kind of surprised by a couple of these other stories. Um, so first of all, the president, the Trump administration, that is, is appealing a court ruling that struck down their plan to compel pharmaceutical companies to disclose wholesale prices of their drugs in television advertisements. This is a picky one. This is a hairy one. Like this one. So we'll discuss that. Um, and then Home Depot is going to move some of their suppliers out of China because of the trade war. Winning. <laughs> can I just go? Can I get a what? What? Yeah. Winning. Anytime businesses are moving out of China. Come on, baby, baby, come on. Well, let's get it. Let's get, uh, you got to get your happy shoulder dance going on. You got to be ready to just, you know, rumble and jumble. You got to be ready because that's good news for Americans. Now, am I saying that all production should be moved out of China? No. Uh, But I think that if they want to play this game and have a trade war and the economic losses that they're kind of storing up for themselves begin to mount up and they, they, look, figure it out, China figure it out. Okay. Um, so that is also something we're going to discuss on the show. So let's go back to this chosen one thing. Um, oh, one more thing, market watch reporting, uh, asking what retirement crisis, the number of 401k and IRA millionaires has hit a record high. We'll get into that too. Okay. 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 All right. Um, so yesterday the president was doing his thing. Uh, he was getting a little jiggy with it and it was fun. Um, like all of his press conferences, I just want to put up something that, like just an idea for you to think about. So President Trump, when he's doing these press conferences or these press avails, they're not really conferences, but sometimes it is. He's standing at the podium and he's pointing at people and picking who he's also kind of taking these people to school because they don't seem to understand how a press conference is supposed to work. They're not supposed to scream all at the same time. They're not supposed to ask a question and then answer it themselves. They're not supposed to pontificate. They're supposed to ask questions about different things they want answered so they can write stories. And the president is supposed to answer. And when he moves on, they're supposed to then, after the press conference is over, seek out a White House staffer and get a list of talking points, uh, an interview. You know, so the president said X about, you know, the economy. And then afterwards, we spoke with, you know, secretary of, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that person told us that the, 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 the administration is planning on doing whatever. The president is not supposed to stand up there until he's answered enough questions for you to write your whole article based off your conversation with him. I, I mean, I can't believe this is even something that they don't know. Um, cause they work for news organizations and they should be having these meetings where they say, we noticed you 
on TV embarrassing our news organization by just asking repetitively the same old questions or barking out nonsensical questions. You've got to, every time you open your mouth, you got to say something that is substantial, that is pointed, that is a question he can answer in two or three sentences so we can get asked again. And if we want to have an interview in the Oval or, you know, approach him about having a, a you know, a 30 minute on camera inside the White House, we should be able to get that because he respects our journalists. Uh, is there anybody in a newsroom in America mainstream that's having these kind of conversations with these people? Maybe not. Y'all, that was free information. I'm not charging for those consultant services. You can just se- section that piece out and play it during your newsroom meeting. And I won't even, I don't even need credit. You don't even need to play the show intro, although it is snappy and awesome. So the president turns and, and also the way the camera is set up now, especially CNN and everyone else. The way that he's taking these, it means that what they had going on when Sarah Huckabee Sanders and Sean Spicer were in the, 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 you know, press secretary spot, they would actually have the ability to stand up and say something snappy or they'd say, you know, I'm April Ryan from, you know, American Urban Networks at wherever she's from. And so they could get some kind of like attention for themselves and make news for themselves. And that has been completely ripped away from them because of their poor behavior. Oh, and Jim Acosta. When's the last time you heard his name? Mm. I shouldn't even said it. I should have said that one guy that was rude and hated. And you would have known who I was talking about, too. So here he is. He's speaking about the trade war with China because he's been asked about it. He looks to the heavens and says, I'm the chosen one. Now, he didn't look up and say, oh, I am the chosen one. No, he kind of turned to the side and said, well, you know, why are we doing it now? Because um, he turns and says, I'm the chosen one. It was a joke. Now, if you have Trump derangement syndrome to the 10th power, you can't see a joke coming from the president. So it smacks you upside the face and it feels like mental illness to you or whatever else you can characterize it as. And that's sad, but that's a you problem. He was joking. But is he the chosen one? Well, do you guys remember that one time God sent us a perfect man without spot or wrinkle? Someone who was as white as the driven snow, as clean as the driven snow. Someone who had never, ever sinned. Someone who literally was God. Do you remember when that person was sent to us? His name is Jesus Christ. And he was sent to earth. And what did we do? We crucified him. So we're not getting any more perfect specimens. That was our one go. We are just blessed that he is still, he, he went ahead and completed his work. So we won't have to bear the weight of our sin. But if you're looking for some perfect person, you, we had that chance and it's over. Thank God he's still going to allow us to, we can still approach the throne of grace by way of Jesus Christ. So there will be no other perfect people. So every person, whether they're a Democrat or Republican or independent or, you know, a a space cadet, if they're running for office or doing anything, they're going to be a flawed individual who needs a savior and they're not going to be perfect. So the idea that We need to expect perfection from Donald Trump. And if he doesn't deliver that, he's not the guy that is a lie from the pit of hell. And every time you hear it, you need to gently and gingerly smack that stuff down to the ground like, you know, a fly that's flying around your barbecue stuff. And you get the fly swatter out and you swat it down to the ground with prejudice. Then you step on it just to make sure it's done. I'm kidding. Don't step on people. Don't really hurt people. But y'all can understand a metaphor. This is not something we need to be worried about. He's not perfect because he can't be perfect because none of us are. The first time you hear somebody say, well, he's got, what about you? Won't you, won't you, why don't we sit here and have a running list of all the things you've done wrong? All the things you've messed up on? All the things you regret? Oh no, you don't want to talk about that? Then roll back. Okay. Uh, We have just a minute left and apparently, well, we have, we have a guest today. So, Producer Noah, is that our guest? I don't want to take him now because he's he's going to be on during uh, the second segment. Noah's popular up in the chat room, y'all. He's awesome. Um, so the media knows that the president was joking when he said he was the chosen one. Everybody knows he was joking when he said he was the chosen one. But I just want to tell y'all something. And for all of y'all who hate me but still listen to the show, God bless you. And I love having your ears. And here's something I'm going to tell you. I hope you don't get triggered. He is the chosen one. He won the election. That's how he got chose. So if that bothers you, you should get together with your Democrat candidates and figure out some kind of policies that you actually believe in so that you could actually win the next election. 
But since we know y'all ain't going to do that because you're still too busy talking about Bernie Sanders and all his uh, pipe dreams of $13 trillion worth of, uh, you know, single payer health care, I'm going to go ahead and say that President Trump might just be the chosen one again in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> so don't get mad at me about it. Okay. Just be nice. Just keep your feelings low and soft and gentle and stick around because there'll be me and Brian Owens when we get back from the break. Okay. Keep it here. When is the best time to talk to your family about staying in touch during a disaster? When floodwaters reach your door? When wildfires are engulfing the edge of your neighborhood? Or an earthquake is destroying buildings? Or is the best time, perhaps, today? During a disaster, you may not be able to stay in touch with your family or friends as easily as you think. Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Hi, it's Olivia Munn with my shelter pets, Frankie and Chance. Say hi, guys. When I adopted them, I discovered that they both have incredible personalities. Chance's sole purpose in life is to love and to be loved. Frankie is a little bit of a scoundrel and always entertaining. They're a little bit of a lot of things, but they're all pure love. Adopt pure love at theshelterpetproject.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the Humane Society of the United States, and Maddie's Fund. If you love them enough to turn off your music and pretend like their music is your music. Ah, oh, this is mommy's jam. Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're in the right car seat. Let's play it again. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. Hi, I'm Danica Patrick. Watching my nieces grow, play, and learn is amazing, but not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. This breaks my heart, and it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and gives it to families in need. To help, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Melissa from Michigan. I work an extra part-time job serving lunch at my child's school, but I still can't afford to put food on our table. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Hi, we're the Goo Goo Dolls. We're fortunate that our daughters have what they need to grow and learn. But that isn't the case for nearly 13 million kids in the U.S. that struggle with hunger. Childhood hunger is a heartbreaking reality that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and provides it to families and children in need. You can help kids in need in your community by visiting feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the program. You can go to StacyOnTheRight.com and actually live stream of the show is there. The chat room is there. And that is what you see when you're watching the live stream of the show on all of our other. We're on Periscope and uh, Facebook, YouTube. When you're watching on there, the live stream that you see is our chat room from StacyOnTheRight.com. So go there. Click on the ads, you know, uh, show us some love. And thank you so much for being here today. It's my pleasure to welcome the founder and executive director of Life Arts Incorporated. His name is Brian Owens, and the website is lifeartsinc.org. Brian, thank you for joining us today. 
Okay, we he just dropped. So it's an accident. Um, we have a little little dropping going on. I'd actually just actually emailed him back and said, "Hey, um, awesome, he's on the way in." So let's wait until he calls us back. Um, but I want to tell you about Life Arts while we're waiting on him to come back in. Um, they are presented by M One Bank for Life Community Partnership. And their event that they're having next is a night for life, a community celebration and Michael McDonald tribute concert, which is going to be three generations of Ferguson taken to the stage for a unique community celebration and tribute concert to the original soul of Ferguson. And it sounds pretty exciting. I got to say, Brian, are you back with us? Okay, maybe not. I thought Noah said he was back. Oh, okay. Well, uh, welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you for joining us. Okay, I'm not hearing anything. So we might be having some other technical difficulties that are more serious than um, just just being able to hear him. I'm, I, I can't hear anything. So I'm pretty sure he's not with us just yet. Um, whenever Brian is with us, just go ahead and chime in. I'm not hearing anything right now. Okay. Well, unfortunately, I'm not able to hear him. Um, and I'm not sure what what the deal is. Um, hold on. Maybe the reason I can't hear him is because of this. Hold on. Okay, now, Brian, are you there? I am. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much for calling into the show today and for being with us. Can you tell us about, well, first of all, why are you doing a night for life, a community celebration and Michael McDonald tribute concert? Why are you doing that in Ferguson? What propelled you to do it? Um, number one, I live here. And I think as an artist, it's important um, to contribute back to the community that I live in. Um, other than that, you know, the other reasons are, it's Michael McDonald. It's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> he's, <laughs> um, he's a good friend of mine now. And um, I, I think that not only the celebration of his music, but we're also celebrating uh, a couple community members who have um, really gone above and beyond in their work with young people. Um, and, you know, just all of the different uh, arts organizations that we partner with, the non-creative you know, organizations that we partner with. I just think it's important for people to see um, that Ferguson is more than just a punchline or a boilerplate. Um, it's an actual city where people live, where they um, work and worship, um, and that, you know, it is totally possible to um, move forward without necessarily moving past. And I think that's something that's a distinction that we that has to be made. Moving forward does not necessarily mean, you know, moving past. Like like every city we have issues and those issues aren't issues that we should move past. We should deal with them. But we should deal with them in a manner that that uh that provides us with a forward way um of moving and dealing with them. So hopefully a night for life is just an opportunity for the community to come together around music, around hope. Um, around, you know, the things that I believe the gospel, you know, calls us to, um, I don't know, and just kind of celebrate where we're going as a community. Now, that's your fundraiser, right, Brian? But you also have uh, Compositions for Life, which is 46 students, four schools, and 27 songs. Tell us about that. Yeah, so in 2014, um, I ended up connecting with some kids at Confluence Academy Old North, and that turned into a partnership between that school, uh, myself, and Maryville University doing therapeutic songwriting, um, where we took six music therapy students from Maryville with the oversight of, uh, of their uh, professors there. And they did music therapy for students who were dealing with urban trauma. And uh, it was a great success. Um, actually, two of the students that were in the program um, when we started last year, just graduated. One of them's leaving for the Army next week, and the other one, um, she's starting college. Mm. So um, it's been a blessing to be able to, you know, use music in that way. And as we've expanded out, 
um, just seeing all the different ways that we can use music to help specifically young people unpack um, trauma and really give their trauma a voice and, and, and a different perspective and context. So it's been a lot of fun um, seeing how that how that works out, and we're looking forward to doing more. So that is really, I love that because music is its own language and children who learn how to express themselves through music, learning how to play an instrument, reading music, actually have a a leg up on doing advanced math, learning languages. You know, you need those three years of some kind of foreign language in high school to be college prepped. And there's just so many different ways of going about doing that. And one of the ways that is, is kind of falling to the wayside is teaching children music. And so even learning, you know, the, the art of being in a chorus and singing and, you know, singing on key, these are preparatory for the more advanced skills that lead kids to be ready for college. So it, the, the issue that you're addressing is trauma, but the side effect is there are additional benefits to engaging kids through music. And I think that is such a beautiful way of addressing something that it can be heavy and difficult, but this is a way to uplift as well as to address the issue. Yeah, I mean, and 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 again, you know, not again because I haven't said this before. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that one of the things we have to we have to really be mindful of is that some of the main leaders in culture historically have been artists, and you know, as we you know look at culture as it exists now. I think that can still be the case. That is still the case. Media, you know, and arts inform and report on who we are as people. And and I think that not every student that works with us uh, will be, will end up being, you know, a professional artist, but many of them will. And we want to ensure for them that they have the tools and the resources necessary, um, but viewpoint and worldview um, are important as well, and for us as a faith as a faith based Christian organization, um, we want to equip a generation of people who can effectively and efficiently minister the gospel of Jesus Christ into any situation they find themselves in. And music is a way to do that. Wow! It's everybody like 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 music. Music um, is a great capsule for the medicine of the gospel. Um, oh, I love that. And I said mu- music is like, mu- music is like, music and arts are like time release capsules, right? It's not something that you just put in and immediately you feel the effect. Music is something that you can put in, and we don't know when that time release is going to happen. But, but at least with a lot of people who may be adverse to the gospel, mm-hmm. music is a way to initiate that conversation or prepare their heart for someone else to have that conversation. <laughs> and, and I love it. That's old, right? It's, you know, it's not to raise up just musicians, but musicianaries, right? Musicians who are also missionaries who are called in the culture um, for no other reason but to proclaim Jesus. That's it. Nothing else. So I love that because that's the kingdom-minded mission. So you're saying, you know, you want to address, uh, you want to address trauma, um, but who who is the ultimate in addressing trauma and healing us? It's Jesus, and so without Him, we can we can right. do all kinds of programming, and we can we can really wonderful ideas, talented people. But if we come together, we'll just be clanging about and making a lot of noise with no impact because we have to have Christ at the center of it. And I wanted to share with, with the listeners, you're on your website, lifeartsinc.org. It says, Life Arts is an extension and outgrowth of the many experiences that have been granted to me over the years. Since the events of Ferguson in 2014, we have been dedicated to developing the youth of our community and providing them with a platform wherein they can fully express and develop their creative voice. And I, I I love that. I think the creative side of things can be almost like the water to a plant that is the, the educational process. When children are creatively stimulated, they actually excel in other areas of their education. And so you're addressing a lot of different things. Very, it's, it's very simply, uh, kind of impactfully, very directly, but you're addressing many different things with one focus. Yeah. People ask us all the time what we do. And it's hard to describe. 
like I like it's like I could tell you, but it would probably confuse you if I told you all the stuff that we have done because I'm doing a bunch of stuff that I never really wanted to do. This is like on mission. Like I didn't want a nonprofit. I didn't want to build it. But but I wanted to serve young people, and I wanted to be obedient. And so, in this season, it, this is what those two things look like. But it but but in seeing how God is allowing us to develop different partnerships that provide any number uh, of different resources for the work that we're doing, you know, it, it's. I don't know. It's 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 such a picture that is way bigger. Like we get to the point now when people ask us what we do, it's like we build out ecosystems. That's what we do. You know, we're we're trying to build out an ecosystem, and then let that ecosystem be a model for other parts of the city to build out their own ecosystems, and then ecosystems can partner. As opposed to saying, well, you know what, I'm going to change St. Louis. Well, I don't live in St. Louis. In an absolute sense, I live in Ferguson. Mm-hmm. The part of thing. So, what? So it's like God. What do you want me to do with the eight miles around Ferguson? And so we have this. We have this. You know, fundamental kind of um, ideology that says our reasonable radius of reach. Right. So the reasonable radius of reach is the area that we've designated that we can be the most effective without diluting what we do. And so that eight miles around Ferguson, which covers a lot. So in ter- just in terms of school districts, we have like six. Mm. Right. So our focus is on the community and the students and the churches and the businesses and the people who live in that eight miles and what we can do to not just enhance it, for the sake of better community, but to till the soil for the gospel. Mm. So I love the, the way that we the, see us being able to do that. Yeah, it's through me. It's through media and music. Well, I love that. I'm actually on that page on your website. You you have it very clearly delineated and easy to kind of take in chunks because sometimes we get we get to explaining everything. As you said, it's hard to explain, but you have it here. Our purpose, why we serve. Our mission is to develop the leaders of today, where they live, using the arts, how we serve. We achieve this mission through programs, pathways and projects rooted in our core values of leadership, innovation, faith and excellence, which spells out life. And then where we serve. Your area of service is the reasonable radius of reach. I love that. Having to find this area as an eight mile radius extending from the home city of Ferguson. So you're saying how to eat an elephant one bite at a time. Instead of going for the whole city of St. Louis, 315,000 strong, why not just say right here where we are within this radius and touch everyone you can there. And then the ripple effect from that, as we know, God's word does not return void. When we say we're putting him first, he magnifies the efforts of our work. And so the impact will be greater than your eight mile radius. But the the idea of focusing there is the proper use of your resources. I love this. I, I think it's it's exactly what's needed at this time. Yeah. And I think, too, the, other, the part of that for me is that, like, like it may like we may just be the we just may be the megaphone in this eight miles. But we know people who are outside of this eight miles, right? And so we encourage them, okay, you be the megaphone in your eight miles. And then we encourage somebody, you be the megaphone in your eight miles. If you get a bunch of people who are just being a megaphone in their eight miles, right? Because we, we have this thing where we say we, we have a local focus, but a, you know, a global impact, right? So, so the things that we do, the projects and the, the level. Of, of excellence with which we want to do things has a global audience. But, but our, our focus is taking the, the, the global and, and, and focusing it on the local. So we can go all over the world and generate resources, but we want those resources to come back to our eight miles. So is there anything else we have just about 30 seconds left here that you would want to maybe direct people to the website or your fundraising? You got 30 seconds, Brian. Just go to lifeartsinc.org. 
come to the concert on September 29th and you will find out everything that you need to know and so much more. Mm. So thank you so much for your time today. I yeah. appreciate you. Um, I love what you're doing in Ferguson and I, I pray for God's blessings to just chase you down and overtake you and run out before you. And um, I, I look forward to spending some time in Ferguson with you and, and kind of investigating more and being a part of what you're doing. It, it's fantastic to have you on the show today. Hey man, quick shout out to M1 Bank. <laughs> M1 Bank. He was shouting out M1 Bank just there. Um, and they are partners as well. Fantastic, fantastic partners. All right, we'll be right back with more after this. All right, I got to The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. You took the first step and quit smoking, but even former smokers may still be at risk for lung cancer. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know about a new low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early. It takes only 60 seconds and could save your life. You took the first step, now take the next. Visit SaveByTheScan.org for a simple quiz to see if you're eligible and talk to your doctor about screening. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. First, I hold my hands out like they're on a steering wheel. Then I look over my shoulder. One. Okay, cool guy. Two. Three times. Next. Oh, I put it in reverse. Meep, meep, meep. Then I take it up and down. Up, up, and down. And that, kiddos, is called the forklift. Dance like a dad. It's a great way to make a moment with your kids. Now that's dancing. Sure beats flossing. Visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Hi, everyone. Al Roker here. As a guy with his own catchphrase, I appreciate that after 75 years, Smokey's only said, Only you can prevent wildfires. But I'm filling in because there's a lot more to report. Like when it's dry or windy. Be careful burning yard waste because wildfires can even start in your neck of the woods. Go to SmokeyBear.com to learn more about wildfire prevention. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Hey, everybody. Rachel Ray here. Nothing brings a bigger smile to my face than cooking up a big meal for the whole family and lots of friends. But there's not enough room at my table for the 17 million kids in our country who struggle with hunger. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks collects surplus food to give hope to hungry kids. But they can't do it without your help. Support Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Woo! Let's get crazy! In movies, when someone at a party jumps into a pool fully dressed, everyone cheers them on and jumps in too. Just so you know, in real life parties, nobody jumps in after you. You just look stupid. Come on, jump in. Come on. Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Spacey on the Right. So, so next year, guys, will be like, remember that one time Stacy was trying to talk to the guest, and the guest was trying to talk to her, but Stacy hadn't turned on one of the machines. <laughs> we'll have to laugh about that, y'all. <laughs> but right now, I'm glad to be back with you. Um, so we have had just this like this week has been so jam packed for me. I've had so much to do, and then I'm looking at next week and thinking I've got even more stuff. You might have seen. Well, I only put it on my personal Facebook page, but we I've told you we have a a really fun announcement that's coming up, and I would I totally would tell you about it today, but I was told on the phone yesterday not to share. So all I can share with you is that I have something cool to share. That's all I've got. But I will share it as soon as I'm able. You're going to see all of the different, like it'll be all over uh, social media. And it's not, it's not having to do with radio. So if you're wondering, ooh, did she get a new gig? No, 
this is my new gig, y'all. Um, now maybe there's something else that's going to happen, uh, you know, that the Lord has in store for me. And I'm always open to that. I'm always ready to, you know, Hey, he says, go, I'm ready. But this is the new gig. The new gig is righteously American. Yes. Yes. And our podcast numbers are growing. I want to see more growth. So don't forget to tell friends, share whatever, whatever your mechanism is. I, I feel like it's best when it's organic. I just like to remind you. Okay. Now I saw, as we like to say, I saw in the chat room, Tracy, Smoke, Chi, um, so many fun people just hanging out and doing their thing. And then in our other chat rooms, we have all of the usual suspects over on Facebook just chilling. Just, I mean, just having a good time laughing and giggling. Um, oh, and so sometimes when you see me looking and you're like, what are you looking at? I, so I, my office, I can see out of this little studio here right out the front of our house. And sometimes I see like a big, huge deer walk by. It just distracts me. I'll just look, I'll glance over there and I'll see a big, huge, enormous deer with tons of antlers or somebody using my driveway to turn around in, which I, I just don't know why people think that's okay. Um, and I don't mean it like our driveway is sacred, but really you, so you just drove back here and now you're all up in my driveway turning around. So that's sometimes what you see me looking at. Um, and then I wanted to just continue on. We also have on the YouTube page, we have Love Roscoe. Um, he's over there and Lori Simmons. So thank you so much, guys, for being in the, the different chat rooms and for supporting the show. So now I, I said we were going to talk about the black family. And this is a discussion that we have to have often because whatever happens to the black family happens to families at large across the country. It's like it spreads outward. So what we want to do is we want to say, you know, maybe you're not a black family, but what happens to the black family impacts the greater society at large. And so when we look at what's happening, we're examining it and we're saying, what's happening? What, why is this happening? What can we do to help? Um, yeah, Robin squirrel. <laughs> I'm talking and then I'm, my eyeballs are all wild. Like, what did I just see? Um, an angry looking squirrel fighting with another squirrel. Sometimes that happens while the show's going on. So this piece is by Dean Callahar. And the reason that I chose it to share is because he actually outlines, he starts off by talking about race in America, the horrible historic realities and how they are just minefields like whenever a person who's not black starts discussing these issues they invariably are accused of racism which leads me into a segue into earlier this week I talked about how I was reading this book by Clarence Thomas so I have not yet finished the book by uh, Charles Payne who was on yesterday I'm actually working through that at at as as fast a clip as I can because I want to finish it and actually send out a couple tweets about how it was so good um, it, it will be so good. I'm not finished with it. But the one that was so actually good is this book by Clarence Thomas, My Grandfather's Son. Now, I don't often tell you you need to go get a book and read it more than one time. But I'm going to do that again today, just in case you missed one of the other podcasts uh, earlier this week when I talked about this. The reason it's so important is because any discussion about what we're about to launch into, race in America, that doesn't involve understanding it from the perspective of someone like Clarence Thomas, who grew up in abject poverty, yet still made it to the Supreme Court. And yes, he's an anomaly. Not every American, what I don't care what your background, is going to make it to the Supreme Court. That's a rarefied path that he was on, that God placed him on. But when you read this book, you guys, and you see, I mean, he just, he's been through almost everything you could think of in an American life. He's He's been through it. His breadth of experience is so broad that the book is basically a representation of American life that any person can identify with, even if you didn't grow up in poverty, if you're not black, uh, if you're not a man, you can still identify. And I want to know if you notice this in the book, he actually, he's a, he's tougher on himself than any of his critics can ever be. He's humble. And and in that humility and the telling of this story, you are able to, you, you can see the parallels between what he went through and things that are going on in your own life, even if they're not the same thing, because the human experience is really well represented in this book. There were so many things in it that just, I, I just was gobsmacked, to be quite honest, but I, I, 
I think one of the things that was a continuing running theme throughout the book that I don't, I don't believe he sat down, let me write a book that shows this particular thing is that there's nothing new under the sun. The same things that we get so perplexed by the Democrats doing now are being done over and over again in this book. Only this is the eighties, the seventies, the eighties, the nineties. Um, it's not, so not in the last 10 years, but Way back then, they were doing the exact same thing, calling Republicans racist, saying everything a Republican could do is racist, you know, uh, attacking Republicans, making black men out to be sexually aggressive and predators, having a kind of attitude about blacks that if you don't think the way that Democrats think and you're black, then you hate yourself, you're off the plantation, you're, and again, that's not my language, because y'all know I'm not really into saying plantation for modern day thought processes. There's other ways to describe it. Um, But there's nothing new under the sun. So I won't belabor the point, but I finished it and I'm, I'm going to pass it off to our 16 year old tonight to read. She's a voracious reader and I think she's going to enjoy this book a lot. And I think you will too. And you may have, like, you might be one of those people who you were smart and you got with it right when it was released last year. Um, but I just, I put it on my list and then I never got to it. Last year was not my best year for finishing my book list. Um, but this year I'm doing a little bit better and I hope to, you know, end the year out feeling, you know, like, hey, I, I, I put my effort in and I, and I did it and I read some really great books. Um, but I just recommend that you read it. And if you do, if you wouldn't mind, you know, post a comment on Stacy on the right or, you know, on, on one of the social media sites and just say, hey, I read the book and, um, you know, here's what I thought. You Any any sharing at all, I would appreciate it just because I, had, I feel like I should write him because, you know, public figures like but like this guy, they get paper letters all the time and they they read them. He reads his mail uh, just to kind of express what the book means to me. I think it's one of the great American works that um, students in high school should read this book. That's, that's what I feel about it. So, um, but, uh, you know, God bless him for writing it and for uh, exposing himself and bearing his, his history from beginning to end. So, um, I was talking about race in this piece over at the American Thinker and all these things are linked at listen.stacyontheright.com. So most people blame the decline of the black family in America on uh, racism, but that analysis doesn't hold up according to one of the other great thinkers of our time, Thomas Sowell. Um, oh, um, so the, when, when we talk about that, um, Thomas Sowell has actually shown that the black family survived centuries of slavery and generations of Jim Crow where most black children grew up in homes with two parents. And so what we, what we think, and I'm guilty of this too, is that if everything's not ideal, then it has to be the fault of dot, dot, dot. And most liberals blame everything that's happening bad in the black community on racism when the true racism is the low expectations of black people. Black people can't be married. Black people can't get voter IDs. They can't get identification. Black people can't achieve at the same level of whites. They need affirmative action. Black people can't matriculate into college and have their own like neighborhood school districts. If black kids aren't sitting in schools next to white kids, they can't learn. Those are all racist things to think about black people. And they're also all well, widely accepted concepts in the Democrat community, black community, and and really uh, on the left side of the political aisle. Even in academia, the expectation is that blacks will show up with less vocabulary, less preparation, less ability, that they will not be able to keep up with the classwork, that they will need additional help, and that they will not matriculate out of college. It's so bad that when White kids from well-to-do families encounter black kids from well-to-do families where they're taught to speak proper English and they are quick to pick up on information. Those white kids will actually be astounded and say, what kind of family do you have? And, and so you, I'm not, this isn't a hypothetical. Our kids have been asked by their peers what kind of family they have. Not in a objectionable way, but in a genuinely interested way Another child asked our son what kind of family he came from. And our son said, what do you mean? He said, well, what does your mom do? And he, he, they don't say, oh, she's a radio host. They, you know, she, she's an independent contractor, but she works out of our home. You know, um, what, what does your dad do? And then, then the kid was like, well, what kind of education do your parents have? And so my son answered 
because I don't have a college degree in case anybody's wondering. I went to Air Force Technical School. I have two years of college. And yes, I'm one of those proverbial, uh, you know, black middle class college dropout chicks. Me over here. Also, I own guns. So be careful what you say to me after this. Also. So <laughs> our son was like, oh, you know, my dad has an MBA, but my mom went to college for a couple of years and they're both in the Air Force. And so our son said, hey, um, why are you asking me this stuff? And he said, oh, I... I was just wondering because um, I was explaining all this stuff to you guys. They were in a club after school that's like a technical club. And they were there for like a kind of like an orientation. And they had to take home some uh, permission slips because they use power tools and all that stuff in this club. And he said, oh, you guys just pick everything up so quick. Like I explained all of the orientation stuff to you. And you guys didn't I didn't have to explain it to you twice. And you guys are just really smart. This is our son and our younger daughter. And he said, oh, uh, okay." So he came home and told us this at dinner and I said, well, maybe it's the first time he's really been exposed to like, you know, people who just pick stuff up quick. And my son was like, no, I don't know. So, so this isn't about in that particular anecdotal tale that I just share with you that this kid is racist or the kid's a Republican or the kid's a Democrat. The kid is a kid. He was just reacting to what he was experiencing with our two kids, two of our kids. But the liberal expectation is that you can't do it. And I know that because I have on many occasions, too many to enumerate here, been told by liberal women, wine box drinking, $900 purse wearing, uh, Volvo and Prius driving liberal suburban women. They don't expect me to be in a book club. They don't expect me to have ever read and finished a book. They're not surprised when I say I dropped out of college, but they also don't expect me to be able to speak proper English. One lady even went so far as to say, it's okay. You don't have to talk like that because of me. And I was like, what do you mean? And she said, you, you, you don't have to talk like that. You can just be yourself. I was like, this is me. But if you keep talking to me like that, I'm going to turn into somebody else who's not normally me because I can't believe you just said that to me. I would never put on a voice for you. This is the way I sound. This is the way I talk. She was shocked. She didn't apologize. She felt it was absolutely normal for her to expect me to speak a certain way because black people can only speak and sound and think one way. And who thinks that way? Liberals. I've actually never had a conservative or Republican person expect me not to have read books, not to be in a book club, not to live in the suburbs, not to have my kids all be from the same man, not to be married, not to be, you know, on some kind of welfare. Every time one of those statements has been made to me, it's been a liberal. So I'm not saying that because every liberal thinks that way, but I am saying that there's a general role of thought that academics and intellectuals on the left have poured into the minds of people who go to college who believe and ascribe to the leftist ideology, and those people carry those low expectations out into the world, and that's why all of their policies involve the government coming in and being the dad and the the husband to the, the indigent moms and men being in prison if they're black, and that's all they expect of us. And so my thing is, you know, every time we we look in God's word, he never says, except y'all black folks, blessings will run you down and overtake you, except you black people. You know, if you're obedient, I'll bless you, except you black folks. If you give the first tenth of your income, I will pour out a blessing on you that's too great for you to contain, except you black folks. God says, obey and I will bless. Love God and seek him first and I'll add everything else to you. He never says, do it if you're XXX. And until we get that into our heads, nothing will change. God bless.